clear your mind and climb the tower. Hi everyone, this is Rowan Odom. Today, we're pleased to showcase The Tower, an ambient, experimental audio fiction which combines a concept album and the mystery and drama of a young woman's journey of self-discovery. Join Kiri as she forsakes the hustle and bustle of the modern world and ascends a seemingly infinite tower. Along the way, she will witness sights and sounds which will challenge her very being and have deeply personal conversations with friends and family on oddly convenient phones left on the tower. Immersive and contemplative, the tower lays out an experience that is touching and dramatic in turn, inspired by the works of Ryuichi Sakamoto and evoking introspective adventures like Celeste. You can find The Tower wherever you get your podcasts, or as an ad-free album on their Bandcamp, tincanaudio.bandcamp.com. Part 1, 2, and 3 are available now, with Part 4 coming soon. Hello, I'm Cody Michael Carmichael, and you're about to be listening to the amazing podcast Syntax, which probably means you're smart, charming, and have great taste. And maybe you're interested in scientists discovering and doing cool things, or you'd like to be one. If that's the case, you should come check out BroadlyEpi.com, where I teach the science of epidemiology, programming, provide summaries of the most recent research, have some software tools available, and a lot more. If you're interested in renting a scientist, well, we have that option too. BroadlyEpi.com, epidemiology, broadly speaking. Hello listeners, this is Ty Vaughn, writer for Syntax and voice of Silas Caldwell. I'm thrilled to showcase our sponsors, the exceptional creative software suite, World Anvil. World Anvil is the one-stop shop for tabletop gamers, fantasy and sci-fi authors, or world-building enthusiasts who just can't wait to start getting some thoughts down. This is far from just a wiki editor. They have a number of tools and features available, including world-building templates, an RPG campaign manager, a novel writing and publishing tool, interactive map builders, timeline builders, and more. Your vast web of outlines, character plots, and family trees has a home waiting on World Anvil. Check out the full features using the link below or by visiting worldanvil.com. Subscribe using the promo code in the description of this episode and you'll get 51% off an annual subscription, and you'll be directly supporting the creation of TSP Network shows. Thanks in advance for checking it out. Hi everyone, Rowan Odom here. We're pleased to showcase The White Vault, a horror podcast set in the frigid darkness of the Arctic Circle. Follow the adventures of an international rescue and repair team investigating a mysterious signal while navigating the treacherous nature of the polar nightmare they find themselves in. Worst of all, they find they may not be as isolated as they think. Fans of Syntax will love this indie series created by a two-person team. The show balances fictional elements with painstaking scientific, linguistic, oral, and cultural precision and details. The science team hail from all across the globe, a multilingual and multidisciplinary team dealing with their findings as best they can. Filled with masterly crafted foley that places you in the moment with polar bears, howling icy winds, and more. Find The White Vault however you listen to podcasts, or find out more about the show at thewhitevault.com. Subscribe now and delve the waiting horrors. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. 
LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, everyone. This is Stella Odom, the creator and producer of Syntax at Twin Strangers Productions. I hope you've been enjoying the show. This has been a project of passion for us, and it will be our dream come true to bring the full story of Silas and the rest of the Breacher team to you on your favorite listening platforms. We're very grateful for the love y'all have shown with your thoughtful reviews and comments made to us on our social media. If you'd like to financially support our project, we have recently opened a Patreon, and we still have our Ko-fi page as well. You can find those on our website, syntaxpodcast.com. We appreciate everything you do to advocate for us, and we're always watching our Twitter, Reddit, and other social media sites. Thanks again for listening. Now, let's get to the episode, since I'm sure you're dying to know what happens. I have to finish. The work will be done. I will not be enraptured. in the medical ward. You're okay. You're okay. I promise. It's not... It's not after me anymore? Am I... I'm... I'm in one piece, too? Oh my... I... I can't... <sighs> You're safe. For now. We're both here. And the rest of the team is here at Vincula, too. We all made it back safe. But it's nighttime now. It's been over a day since you got knocked out. A day? I've been... I've been sleeping? Something like that. You grabbed that seat pod and poof! You were knocked out! Jay said it was the fastest sedative he'd ever seen. Do you remember that? I... I don't... Maybe? It's coming back to me now, I think. We were... we had found a new place, I think? There were trees? Really pretty trees? And then it was all the maze from there? And that thing chasing me. That's most disquieting. Were you dreaming, Elizabeth? I was. Well, you're back with us now. We're not going to let anything happen to you, all right? Oh, okay. Alex, you can stay here with Elizabeth. I'll run along and let the Breachers know that she's awake. No! No, please, don't don't go. Either of you, stay here. Please, please don't go. Uh, all, all right, all right. I'll, I'll stay right here. Don't worry, whatever you need. I did dream. I dreamed an awful dream. I, I'm i sorry. I'm still trying to return to reality. That's how it feels like. I feel like I've been dreaming for a long, long time. I need to talk about it. Maybe if it doesn't appear again, I'll believe I've really woken up. Take your time. You can tell us all about it. Like I said, I'm not going anywhere. And we're all here in the land of the living. At least, I think so. Not now, Silas. Sorry. I... I was back in Edinburgh, where I studied. I don't think I've talked to anyone about my background yet, have I? Not to me. I don't think so. Sorry, it's been difficult for me to open up to people. Not just you guys on the Breacher team. I've always preferred to keep to myself, ever since I was little. I'm originally from West Virginia, 
the middle of nowhere. You know, I don't remember much about my childhood there, though. I lost both of my parents when I was very little, and I don't remember them at all. I went to live with my aunt Tina after that. She was lonely and wealthy, and was one of the few relatives I had left. She was nice, but never really connected with me, I guess. I'd see the other kids getting picked up at school, or hanging out after games with their families and stuff, and I never had that. She tried her best, though. When I wanted to study abroad, she was very supportive, and that's how I ended up in Edinburgh. Is that how you ended up studying cryptozoology? <laughs> well, zoology. I wasn't going for crypto. No, cryptozoology came after, and generally isn't considered a legit science anyways. I know Vincula introduced me as one, but I actually went to school for zoology. But then... Life took a turn. So I studied in Edinburgh, and it's a perfectly lovely town. I enjoyed my time there very much. Emerald green hills and quaint downtown cafes and boutiques. <laughs> it was, of course, wildly different to my shut-in existence. Aunt Tina was a bit shy and only had a few friends herself. All older than her and therefore much older than me. Here I was, getting a chance to hang out with people my age and with similar interests. Of course, there were low points, but mostly I was having the time of my life. Really got a chance to practice and improve my sketching, while learning a lot about biology, of course. I wanted to know how it all fit and worked together, like a big, complex painting. If I had continued in my studies, I was going to do things like illustrate for biology textbooks. Or at least, that was the plan. When I started my master's program, I moved into a shared dorm. I could have stayed on my own, but I wanted a chance to hang out with other postgrads. I hadn't made many lasting friendships yet, and most of the ones I had had left the school to pursue their careers. I was fortunate to have one good friend by this point, but was determined to make more. I felt like, after four years at the school, I should be cool enough to go about making more friends. <sighs> oh, how wrong I was. I did find someone I immediately was drawn to. Her name was McKenna, and she was one of our flatmates. Oh, she was lovely. We walked to and from the dorm halls together, although that was the only way we really socialized outside of chores from the dorm room. I wanted to get to know her more. Well, actually, I wanted to paint her. But on the advice of my one good friend, I came to the conclusion that might be seen as a little creepy. My friend told me I should ask McKenna directly for permission, and it might also turn into a deeper friendship. I was terrified. I was no good at making friends on my own, and had been lucky up to this point in getting dragged along for everything. This was the first time I was going to have to try and strike out on my own, in a way. I psyched myself up for it, and finally asked McKenna as we were making our way to class in the middle of the semester. I remember she laughed, a wonderful tinkling sound, but it wasn't in derision. I thought for a moment it was, but it turns out she was enthralled with the idea. I thought when I stammered out my invitation, she was never going to speak to me again. I shouldn't have worried. McKenna was one of the loveliest people I knew in my whole tenure of study. We started spending evenings together. Terribly awkward at first, but McKenna was a natural conversationalist. Wonderfully smart, too. The only time I ever stumped her was when I presented her with a portrait. I had drawn her at the table. She just kind of stared at it quietly but shortly she was gushing about the portrait i was really hoping she would end up liking it our friendship didn't last long though just a short while what happened only if you want to elizabeth i want to tell you guys i don't want to just keep it to myself it's important to the dream I had, and I can't. I don't want to forget. 
McKenna disappeared one day. I was sick and didn't go to class that day, so she went on her own. She left me a card, wishing that I'd get well soon. And then she was gone. When she didn't return, I phoned around for her, and all her teachers said that she hadn't shown up for class. She wasn't picking up either, and I hoped she was just playing hooky. Might have gone out on the town to pick up some things, perhaps? That's what I hoped. When she didn't come back, I eventually gave in and checked her room very late that same night. I didn't want to invade her privacy, but I was getting very worried by this point. Everything was neat and tidy as usual, and there was no indication of where she might have gone. I found her emergency contact information, and I dialed her parents. I probably was being overzealous in my protective feelings, but we were getting to be pretty close friends, and it was very odd that I hadn't seen her yet. The next day, authorities went around asking about McKenna. They took my statement on behalf of her family and told me that they were still looking for her. They checked her room and told me they would let me know about any updates. And that was how things were for the next few days. I stewed and I went to class and I couldn't paint a fucking thing. I, I wish there was something I could have done. She was found about a week later, dumped in a ditch, not a drop of blood left in her body. She had been mauled. I didn't want to read too many other details initially. We hadn't known each other long, but I was devastated. I couldn't believe it had happened. I kept thinking, any moment now, she'll walk through that door, ask me how my day went, and what we could go get for dinner. But no, she was well and truly gone. In the most awful way. I, I couldn't just let her go. Just like that, though. After I was over the initial shock, I started to pick up more of the details. The official cause of death was listed as a murder? That someone, some person, had done this to her. But there were a few oddities. I started delving into what I could find, which, granted, wasn't much. Although I was one of her friends, that didn't give me a lot of access to her case. She had been slashed many times, which resulted in her exsanguination. There was indication of a chase, and that she had tried to evade her pursuer for many miles. The location of her body was far, far from the school, but not out of Edinburgh. However, police could find no indication that she had been dropped off there by car after the fact. There was supposedly security footage of her arriving in the ditch by foot, attempting to run from her assailant but I was never able to see the footage. That was all I could give for myself. The parts I couldn't understand then were... How? How did she end up running so far without alerting anyone? She was a bright person, and we usually knew what to do as a pair of younger girls in a big town like Edinburgh. We never felt like we were in grave danger, of course, but we were always practicing caution. So why had she been chased so far? We're talking five miles from her usual route. She easily should have been able to find a policeman in the amount of time, or even dip into an establishment to get away from whatever was after her. And then, there was the manner of her wounds. I was so engrossed in thinking about what happened to McKenna that I reached out to her family. Most of them weren't very cooperative. I mean, I understand. I wasn't someone they knew and we were friends for a short time, like I've said. And here I was, a strange American girl trying to pry about their dead daughter. I finally found a family member who was willing to let me know some of the details from the report. McKenna had been nearly diced to pieces. 
this had been left out of the official report. Most knife wounds only penetrated dermal or muscular tissue. McKenna's bones had been sliced through in places. She was found in several places in that ditch. Parts of her, I, I could barely believe what I was hearing from the perspective of a friend or as an academic. How, how could that have happened to her? I couldn't wrap my mind around it, both the sheer brutality of her death and how it had happened to someone I held dear. Was I really terrible luck to everyone I met? <clears throat> After I processed this information, I dug around a little more. I was probably desperate. Probably wasn't making a lot of sense. Very likely went down a wild goose chase that wasn't true and should have just let McKenna lie and done my best to forget about the whole thing. Probably. But I didn't. I started researching about anything that could help me understand. That could put the pieces of the puzzle I had together. I found out about a local legend. The Lithe of Lennox. Not particularly well known outside of town, nor even the subject of many tales. Except for very old ones that I started dredging up from ancient forums and words of mouth from older inhabitants of Edinburgh. The Lithe was a creature known to take on different forms. It started stalking a particular person on an eve, changing shape with greater and greater rapidity, while trapping its prey in a, an ever-changing maze, like an alternative dimension of its own. It would look like the town you were in, but you couldn't find a door or a way out. Always, you were directed down alleys, getting narrower and narrower with the creature stalking you all the way. Every time you looked over your shoulder, some new face was gazing back at you, its body growing longer and longer with each transformation. Hence the name. The reason this legend drew my attention was the shape it's left its prey in. It was known for possessing razor-sharp talons or claws which it used to dismember its prey, then it took a single trophy. One of the victim's eyes. It would take the eye back to its lair and dip the eye in a vat of molten glass. There was as many theories for what it did with the eyes as there were tellers of the stories. Some folks told me that the Lithe was a real person who sold glass eyes of a natural beauty and realism to high-paying customers. Others said the Lithe put them in sockets in a horrific book of flesh and that it was trying to use it to peer into the future. I know. I know. I see the looks you two are giving me. I'm well aware I was grasping at probably an unhealthy coping mechanism, becoming morbidly fascinated by the monster, the murder case, and trying to make it make sense to me. They never found McKenna's murderer, and I completed my zoology master's degree. Life went on. The grief didn't just go away, but I grew around it, I guess? Around it and over it, but never without it. I got counseling at the behest of my aunt, and kind of moved on from being overly fascinated with the lithe, but I maintained my interest in cryptids. Around more ordinary assignments, I continued my art and drew fantastic, terrifying beasts, and researched what I could about them, knowing that they're usually hoaxes and never taking it very seriously. Just a distraction, you know? That changed with Finkula's offer. I almost couldn't believe the ad when I saw it. I thought it must be a joke or maybe a work of fiction looking for an expert. They weren't asking for money or anything, so I sent my app out of idle curiosity. And had almost forgotten about it when Miss Fo showed up at my tour. She was very adamant that Vincula needed a cryptozoologist and that my blend of education and fascinations were a perfect fit. She needed very little convincing and had most of my portfolio and her documents about me. And before you know it, here I was. Uh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm rambling. It's alright. We've got nowhere to be but right here. That's right. We're not going anywhere if you don't want us to. We're your friends, Lizzie. 
I... I told you all that because of what I dreamt about. I... don't remember what led up to it. I remember the trees, and then... it felt like the world fell out from under my feet. I was falling and falling and falling endlessly, but the feeling of falling never went away. I thought my inner ear would stabilize, or I'd reach the ground, or something would change, but I was stuck like that for a long time, somehow unquestioning of it. Of course I was falling, this is how things are meant to be. Then I woke up, or I thought I woke up. I was in a darkened alley I didn't recognize, the walls beside me were low but just barely high enough I couldn't reach the top. The only source of light was a yellowing electric street lamp at the end of the alley. I dragged myself up off the cobblestone street, and before I could get a good look around, I heard it. A clicking sound, rolling, tinkling, coming from where the light shone with a sickly dullness. I spotted a figure slouched against the lamppost. He was rolling something or some things in his hand together. That's where that sound was coming from. He looked at me. His face was impossibly long. I could see his eyes. They shone like onyx stones in his face. And his nose, but the bottom of his nostrils and cheeks simply dropped down into his coat. Like a face made of clay that was being ripped apart at the neck and the scalp. The Thing lurched up and started walking towards me, all the while clicking, 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 rolling, 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 whatever he had in his hands. I saw a glint of something shiny and round. Fear overtook me. I turned around and darted down the street away from it as fast as I could. The road split left and right on the opposite end of the alley, but the low wall still flanked either side. One path went up and the other went down, so I went down just trying to go as fast as possible. I dared to glance back and I saw the lithe. I somehow knew it was the lithe. It had to be. It came out in the same waistcoat, but its face was changed. It was puffed up, inflated. The eyes bulged out and took up most of its face, with just a thin sliver of flesh remaining where the nose had been. It didn't even turn, it just came out of the alley already looking at me. That sound like glass marbles, grinding, rolling, clacking together, echoed down the alley. I ran, and ran, and ran. The alley split again, and again, and again. This part partially submerged in stinking water, this part flanked by walls topped with blood-red roses that bled down onto the pavement. I chose each frantically, just trying to get away, get help, get somewhere else, and every time I looked, it was coming out of the alley I'd just emerged from. Its face twisted in the middle into a vortex of smirking glee. Another time it was all a mouth, pulled down into a frown of sharp teeth, and its coat was getting taller and taller. It must have stood over twice as high as me at one point, and still all I could do was keep running. Click, clack, click, clack. I squeezed through an opening in a chain link fence and I ran into the darkest road I'd seen yet. I realized as I smacked right into it that there was a wall at the end of this street where there should have been another fork. No way out, nowhere to go. As my eyes adjusted, I saw the lithe standing in the opening of the fence. It bent its impossibly long body into the gap, head first, and coiled up again on the other side, building itself back up until its head was clear over the wall. At first, the head of the coat was empty. Then I heard a mocking laugh emerging as if out of a cave coming from deep inside the hole at the top of the coat. And slowly, tendrils emerged, each tipped with a shining blade. I could only watch. I didn't feel tired. I just knew I had nowhere to go. I think it sliced into me. I don't remember feeling the stink at all. I just woke back up. 
on a cobblestone street surrounded by familiar walls, and I saw a figure slouched against the lamppost. So I started running again, and it caught me again, and it cut into me again, and I woke up again, and... and Hey, hey, it's okay. You're okay now. It was all just a horrible dream. The medical team told us you might be dreaming deeply based on the signs they were seeing. I'm so sorry you had to go through that. But you're back with us now, safe and sound. Everybody's been so worried about you. I'm I'm glad you guys were here. I don't know. I don't know what I would have done if I'd woken up in this room alone. Oh, I don't want to keep everyone worried. But I really don't want you guys to go yet. Let me see if I can get a nurse in here. I couldn't find a call button, but maybe someone's just around the corner. I'll go ahead and shut this off for now. But I'm not going anywhere, Elizabeth. Don't worry. I'm pleasantly surprised how well the translation is coming along at this point. I'm getting faster at translating sentences and can sometimes get a whole page or two of this dense script done in a day. I can make some rough estimates now. It looks like I'm about a third of the way through the Akkadian portion of the book. Uh, the front half. Unfortunately, there's still a great deal missing from the damaged Akkadian first part of the book. We're missing a little over half, I'd estimate, including the beginning of the story. I may be able to start translating that portion of the book on its own, given what I've found so far. But my current plan is to soldier through the portion I have an Akkadian translation for, then finish the part that's still in the back of the book I don't have a translation for. Hopefully, I will have enough of the language translated that I can make headway. The issue with translating the remaining portion is the author change. As I noted in my last recording, it's becoming evident a new person wrote the last segment possibly due to passage of time between the events related to the Hamau and those of the maggot-ridden filth that they decided to move to after the first novel Kutul. The novel Kutul, then, seems like a rite of passage, like a mass migration, likely accompanied by offerings to these gods I keep finding, for good luck locating greener pastures. The mention of this Pilsu or whole grand spectacle assembles in the clearing flanked by our mighty warriors i told the people of our plans for another nabalkutul long have we run from place to place seeking a home suitable for us for our progeny we thought our former dwelling to be the last home the last time we need migrate but this too proved short-lived. I tell the people that our leaders did not understand. They were blind to the proper forms and angered the gods. Wait, there's only one symbol here this time. A single god? I don't have a name for this one yet, but it looks like he's talking about a single entity. They angered the god, and in their folly brought the ruin of our shelter upon us all. I told the people I was not blind, nor foolish, and had studied what remained of our great libraries. I now understood the proper forms. Still, the people are dismayed and untrusting. But I saw, for the first in a long while, hope lives inside us once more. Much must be done for the success of this rite. We are few, but we are not alone. We will task our warriors with bearing the sacrifice. They are too dull to resist us and have served their purpose well. What better glory have they now than to lay the last of their lives down for our passage? Their strength will make a pleasing... Uh, uh, Miss Vo? How are you? Uh, it's not typical you come see me in my office. What are you doing here? Uh, translating. That is what you hired me for, yes? 
I was catching up on some work between expeditions out into that hellish wilderness, since we had some downtime while we waited for Elizabeth to be cleared from medical. Really, it would be surprising to find me anywhere else, don't you think? Of course. I was a bit shocked you were being industrious with your spare moments. Very good. Continue as you were. I... I will? I... What the hell? And like that, she's gone. Very strange indeed. I... Sorry, you're probably going to hear about this later, Miss Vaux, since you listened to these recordings. You just caught me off guard. Let's see. Where was I? Ah, yes. Some kind of ritual. The strength of our warriors will make a pleasing sacrifice. The warriors are not as many as they once were, but it is enough as a sacrifice. I consulted again with my advisors. There are many more forms here than previously thought, and we must make good our promise to the people. And yet, I alone must speak with the... the god. Let this be the last novel Kutul. Let this lead us to paradise. Translator's note. I stopped here for the day because it seems we have yet another author shift. And so soon after the last. I didn't get too far in the new segment yet, and the new sentences are immediately short and bleak. I just did the first sentence for now. It's referring back, I think, to the last author, whose name I can't translate yet. It just says, he was wrong. Silas Caldwell, specimen log for Vincula. After a few days rest, we are back on Gaia with our dear cryptozoologist in tow. Yippee! Back to making specimen logs! We're back at the site where we rested when we evacuated Elizabeth out on the last trip. The spider web is still present, although its architect is nowhere to be seen. There are a few bundles wrapped in webbing, though. It looks like our spider friend has been eating well since we've been gone. Um, I can't tell what might be in the bundles. They don't seem terribly large, though. They could be that horse-faced bat creature, or perhaps some of the various birds we've seen since we've entered Gaia. It is eerily quiet here. I wonder if the spider actively hunts its prey. I was going to point that out. Its web isn't particularly large, and there are lots of gaps in the strands. It doesn't look like it's for catching passing birds, and it's in a terrible place if it's looking for ground animals. It's more like the behavior of some hunting spiders, which actively catch their prey, usually by slinging a web at them or by the use of a trapdoor. <laughs> it might bring them back to its web to let the prey ripen up once they've injected their venom into the unlucky creatures. I'd really be interested to see the spider in action. It's a shame none of our equipment outlasts the night. I'd love to put up night vision cameras and see if we can catch the spider's hunting behavior. If I climbed up there, you might get the chance to see that for yourself. But, no, I don't want to trigger any territorial behavior in a creature that is still evidently living up there. That, and we're still a ways off from how far we made it to the drone last time. I'm hoping to make even better time today, and we've got a strategy for making it past the lullaby trees. That's not... That I know it's not their name yet. No, no, I was going to say that's not a bad name, actually. Anything beats nasty naptime trees. I don't care if it doesn't sound good. Those trees can get stuffed after what they did to Lizzie. Huh. Well, we might stick with that then. Lullaby tree works for me. Anyway, let's clear out of here. We've still got a drone to catch. Silas Caldwell, expedition report for Vincula. Breacher team has made it to the edge of the lullaby tree forest. Cassius is giving the team reminders from this morning's safety briefing. All right, team. Vingula gave us some protocols to follow for travel in this biome. After studying the seed pod we brought back, they have an idea of how it works and what we need to do to avoid another KO situation. In brief, the seed pod explodes outward on contact with a very short-lived powdered sedative. Do not pick up any pods, and if you happen to wander into a breeze carrying seeds, hold your breath for just 10 seconds or so and the sedative will have decayed. If anyone does get knocked out, 
We have enough doses of the sleep antidote to rouse each of us once, but it may take some time to wake up, and we cannot slow down now. We've made great time getting this far, and we'll rest here for a moment, but our drone signal is still going strong. I'm confident we can find it today if we maintain our pace. Yeah, no giving the medic any more mini heart attacks. I wasn't trying to give anyone extra stress. I'd prefer not to experience that again. Thank you very much. Hey, I wasn't blaming you. I know you weren't really a volunteer to be the first subject. It could have happened to any of us. If I wasn't trying to get this drone mission over with so we can go back to business as usual, I might just test it on myself. A huge nap actually sounds kind of nice. Oh, right, because you're invincible and it couldn't possibly go wrong. What could go wrong? The most I'd have to worry about is another vincula ass chewing. But I don't think that could phase me anymore. I'm far too valuable, apparently. And I'm not worried about a little nightmare or two. I'm no scaredy cat. Hey, what are you trying to say? What? Nothing, really. I'm just joking around. Great topic for a joke. Getting run down and eviscerated who knows how many times. Sure, let's see how well it goes for you. Since you haven't got any fears to worry about and your life is just peachy. Fine, maybe I will. Hey, you weren't there when Elizabeth woke up. She was terrified. Yeah, I know. And like I said, I was only kidding. I just finished telling everyone to be careful. I I thought you guys would get it. You don't get anything, do you? I think maybe we all just need to take a little breather and think about some other stuff for a bit. How does that sound? Whatever. Fine. Damn, Ventula got that antidote rolled out fast, didn't they? Must be one of the perks of working for a biotech firm. You know, you'd usually see a few weeks or months of testing before anything got approved. But they had Elizabeth back on her feet in about a day or so. Makes me wonder if the sedative has an Earth counterpart. Vincula's been pretty tight-lipped on the chemistry behind it, though. I don't pretend to know a lot about pharmaceuticals, but that was rather convenient of them, wasn't it? Worked strongly in our favor, so I can't say I'm complaining all that much. It was high time a few advantages of the job should start becoming apparent. Uh, did you guys hear that? Was that... thunder? Maybe. I don't see a cloud in the sky. Was that Greg and company? No, I can see them coming around the bend. It doesn't sound like a gunshot either. That sounded like rolling thunder. Shit, we haven't had any weather to deal with on Gaia yet. I sure hope it's not too freaky or dangerous to deal with. Even just rain would be miserable for the rest of this trip. Odd that I can't see any indication of cloud formations. We'll have to keep our eyes open, I suppose. Let's see what Greg and his squad turned up on their recon. I'd have found an easier way through the lullaby tree forest. There it was again. I got it on the recording that time. Oh, I should probably shut this off hey, for now to conserve battery. I'm telling you guys, I don't think that was a normal drug they gave Elizabeth. Sure, it worked. But I'm none too keen on the idea of us being used as guinea pigs all the time. Not to distract from your point, Jay, but just so I'm certain. Are you sure the drug administered was actually unknown? There are many pharmaceuticals out there, after all, and it could have been an experimental drug. We pulled the record of what she was administered and then combed through the local nursing files for their pharmacy lists, and there was no matching record on the list. Strictly non-confidential items, but keep in mind this is Vincula's pharmacy list. Even if it was experimental, they should have had some record of it. Sure, it's possible we don't know the drug. As Silas said, there's a lot of them, after all. But it looks more like they synthesized the drug after analyzing the seed pod. Or do you think maybe they had an idea of what we'd be needed all along? That's a lot more likely, given how fast they got it to us. And a decent quantity, too. This just plays into our suspicions that Vincula has known all along what to expect in the breach. So why have they been putting us through this whole song and dance, then? Silas said they acted like the opening of the breach was a recent discovery. Maybe they had already figured out how to open the breach by trial and error. And now they need scapegoats in case anything goes wrong with the explorations. Corporations do love a fall guy. 
or 12 breachers. Then the only confusing part is what Greg said. Why have us go through all this? If they already knew, what purpose do our expeditions serve, ultimately? They're aware of what's out here and how to respond to it, or so it seems. Why don't they inform us of what they know? It's not even like I'd hold it against them at this rate. It would make us all feel more like allies than having this kind of shadowy upper echelon guiding our missions. I'd hold it against them. Maybe they fear my wrath. They might be intimidated by the government's response to the breach. I can't imagine how much they must have spent on acquiring the artifacts we currently have. And then when it turns out it's a portal, the feds come along and kindly take it off their hands. Hit of a balancing act, pleasing the government and trying to make it worth the effort of acquisition. Okay, that's the part that's been bothering me. How did they know to get those artifacts in particular anyways? The breach, I'll grant you, would be worth having on its own. They could have opened a fun house and just had kids going around and round in circles for days and sold tickets and cotton candy. But they went and found the book and the stones, and they just happened to have all of that for themselves? Too many coincidences stacking up? If they saw the sigil in the breach, they could have matched it up with the link stones in the book, though. It would have taken a great deal of money and effort, more than I would have assumed possible for a biotech firm to have in such mundane objects. What I can't fathom is how this language and these artifacts have gone unnoticed for so long. I've read nothing about these items in any other publications. And some of them supposedly came from private collections and museums. So I would have thought I would have some inkling of their existence. But no, and I can't confirm by asking any other scholars. Not yet, anyway. Lockdown really has us grasping at straws in the darkness here, doesn't it? Definitely getting louder, by the way. Still no signs of any approaching weather, though. I wonder if there's some natural formation nearby making that tremendous sound. Like a geyser eruption, maybe? Might be the source of the river we found, but I think it's just a collection area for the water off them mountaintops. I still can't tell where the sound is coming from, though. Sometimes I think it's a left, other times a right. The echo is real bad out in these woods. Nice job finding the river, though. This has been a lot easier than trying to navigate under the lullaby trees themselves. And we don't have to worry so much about accidentally bumping into some seed pods. If I had any clue what little germs were floating around in there, I'd probably fancy a dip in that river. It's probably nice and cool with the snow runoff, even this far away. <sighs> Heat hasn't really lit up from the breechwoods, has it? And I'd expect a change in temperature if inclement weather was on the way, even slightly. Okay, that's definitely getting closer. Here, hold up a bit. Let's give a listen. I think that came from a river. It sounded like it to me. Here, let's listen again. Really hoping that's just a geyser. Veered off. Sounded opposite the river from us. That's definitely moving around. Yeah, I agree. Whatever is making that noise, there's either a few of them or it's moving around. At high speed, too. That sounds far away, but it's changing the direction it's coming from. What should we do? Alex, how's our drone signal? Really strong. I can't give a precise estimate, but we can't be any more than five miles away. Damn, we're so close. But I don't want to take any unnecessary risks. We've got a little bit left to our halfway point, thankfully. We made great time getting here, at least. Really close. Same direction. We need to find cover. We're sitting ducks by the river. Let's get to the trees. Move it. Get to the trees. Fuck. Go, go, go! Keep moving. Get to cover. Anyone see it? Damn it! Ah! 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 Ah
Syntax is a podcast by Twin Strangers Productions and is licensed under an attribution share-alike 4.0 international license. Today's episode was directed and produced by Stella Odom and written by Ty Vaughn. Silas Caldwell is played by Ty Vaughn. Cassius Thatcher is played by Beth Fung. Elizabeth Bellinger is played by Morgie B. Alex Yard is played by Jules Christine. Greg Washburn is played by Cody Burke. Jeremiah Woods is played by Eldrin Smith. Miss Evelyn Vaux is played by Kyla Crockett. Additional voices and sounds provided by Gage Odom. Listen to other episodes, find our social media links, and make donations by visiting syntaxpodcast.com. Rate us on iTunes and Google Podcast, and follow us on Spotify. Tweet us at TwinStrangersP with your burning questions, and engage with fellow listeners on our subreddit, r slash syntaxpod. Thanks for listening. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com.